we say Moshe Rabbeinu critiques the last 38 years of the desert and it's not so clear I don't want to get into it but if you remember the first psukim in Dvarim Rashi explains every word in the first psukim as referring to a different uh, event in Jewish history where the Jews uh, were supposed to be critiqued by Moshe Rabbeinu now there, there are two general notions about Musar you know when you when you uh, when you try to talk at somebody in the hope that they will improve the way they act. That's called Musar. So Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not clear why Moshe Rabbeinu is standing on the edge of the land of Canaan, about to enter, to give over the reins to Yoshua bin Nun, that Moshe Rabbeinu decided, that Moshe Rabbeinu decided to talk about all the bad things that B'nai Yisrael did in the desert. So then you have, uh, you have two theories. One theory is that uh, going into Eretz Canaan is going to bring new challenges. So it's important to remind the people that in the past they sinned, and because they sinned they were punished, and because they were punished they were in the desert for 38 years, and because they were in the desert for 38 years, the conquest of Eretz Canaan was pushed off that amount of time. It's important to tell them that. The Rabban has a different take on it. The Rabban is in, in his introduction to the com- his commentary to the book of Dvarim. <coughs> the Rabban says, back from the wars. Are there wars? Are there still wars? No. So the Rabban says, no. <coughs> And that was not Moshe Rabbeinu's intention at all. His intention was to say to B'nai Yisrael, look, you've been through this difficult time in the desert, and God was always with you. Even in the worst of times, in the worst of punishments, God was with you. And therefore, you should be optimistic about your success in Eretz Canaan. So it looks like Musar. You know, Musar is kind of a word that engenders depression. Like, I feel badly because I was so bad, you know, or something like that. But the Ramban turns it around and he says, Musar, Musar is about being optimistic. That after all, God has helped us till now, even though there have been punishments, etc. But I'm optimistic about the future, right? And that's the, I mean, not that I want to talk about that, but you know, that that's the real theme of Tisha B'Av, you know, Tisha B'Av. Who are we and what will we be? Because it really, I, I mean, I don't mean this in the way it sounds. I'm saying this for the purpose of the recording. But that, that it's really irrelevant to us that the Beit HaMikdash does not exist. What is relevant is what's going to be. Right? That's like, like, let's say you were sure, we were sure, people were sure that there would never be another Beit HaMikdash. So we'd all go up to the roof and jump. I mean... It's over, right? That our Jewish history came to an end. But we don't think the Jewish history came to an end. We think it's going on. It's just that it's like a Kripenaz style. Like, like, you know, it's not, it, it sort of like got messed up a little, but it'll straighten itself out. That's what Tisha B'Av is about. And that's why after Tisha B'Av, everybody runs to eat food. Eating food is not a sign that you think it's all over but it's rather a sign that you think you'd like to continue to live. So that, that uh, that's the, 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 the thing about Tisha B'Av. You have to feel badly about what happened, but you have to decide what the implication of Tisha B'Av is for the future. Right? So, you know, that's why you have all the Slichot, the end. Slichot, Slichot is arranged in a very nice way, but at the end, the first of the ending Slichot is Tzion Halotish Ali Shlom Asiraya by Rabbi Yehuda Alevi, who was like wildly in love with the idea of going to Eretz Yisrael and being in Eretz Yisrael. But that's all about future. He wasn't in love with Avram Avinu getting to Eretz Yisrael. He was in love with the possibility that he would get to Eretz Yisrael. So that in the Slichot, like it happens, like it just turns around all of a sudden. He knows. He knows. What? 
We don't? Oh, keynote, yeah, I'm sorry. Keynote. <laughs> so anyway, <coughs> that's Moshe Rabbeinu to begin. But in the midst of all this, there is a story that Moshe Rabbeinu tells us about the appointing of judges. Right? Now you remember that the judges were appointed as a result of a conversation between Yitro and Moshe Rabbeinu. Yitro said to Moshe Rabbeinu, this is impossible, you can't do this. You can't just judge everything alone. You have to get judges. And Moshe Rabbeinu was convinced, and he appointed uh, wise people and made them judges. And that's how today Israel lived through those 38 years. So that is the story, that story that I just told you, the story from the point of view of Yitro. Yitro, I mean, you know, the same story took place in different people's hearts and minds. And the first time the story is told in Shemot is the story of Yitro. Yitro looked around and said, this is crazy. Right? He wasn't talking about sublime matters. He's just saying, my son-in-law is going to drop dead from working all this, uh, working day and night. So I've got to stop him. So he said, he, Yitro said, Navolti bo." you'll become rotted on the tree. There won't be anything left of you, right? Because you think that you can do the job by yourself. Though everybody knows this type of uh, person. However, when it came to Moshe Rabbeinu, it was not true that he was that type of person. He wasn't doing it because he he didn't want to get (coughs) an extra job or take time off or lie down in the backyard. It wasn't because of those reasons. And Moshe Rabbeinu thought that Yitra was right. He knew that he was right. The problem that Moshe Rabbeinu had was that he, Moshe Rabbeinu, he, Moshe Rabbeinu, um, when he didn't know the answer to a question, he would appeal directly to God. And God would say to him, Kasher, Tarev, Tamei, Tahor. He would tell him, he would tell him the answer. Now that level of response was limited to Moshe Rabbeinu. Only Moshe Rabbeinu could say, okay, I'll check with with God to see what the correct answer is. And he knew that if he gave over uh, judgment to all these other guys, that would never be repeated. It would never be repeated, right? (coughs) And so Moshe Rabbeinu could not fathom giving up his job, even though he knew that Yidra was right, that there was no way for him to actually overcome. So what convinced him? What convinced Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the story in Yidra? Do you have to remember? According to the story in Yidra, because Yidra said, What do you mean, What do you mean the nation of Israel will become rotted on the vine? So Yitro said to Moshe Rabbeinu, look, it's true. Your judgment is much higher quality than anybody else's. And if you add judges, everything will change. That's true. But if you don't add those judges, Yitro said to Moshe Rabbeinu, if you don't add all those judges, then when you die, it'll be the end of Jewish history. Right? Because when you die no one will be able to replace you. There won't be anybody who could be the Moshe Rabbeinu, the next generation. So the whole thing will just come to an end. That was what Yitro said, and that's why Moshe Rabbeinu capitulated. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu capitulated. And we know from that Gemara and Erechim, which I've mentioned several times, that after Moshe Rabbeinu died, Yoshua had thousands, there are different versions of the Gemara, thousands of questions that had piled up on Moshe Rabbeinu's desk that now were inherited by Yoshua bin Nun. And Yoshua bin Nun turned to heaven and said to God, you answered Moshe Rabbeinu when he was alive, now I'm the one who is supposed to have the answer, so please tell me, what are the answers, the correct answers to these thousands of questions that I have? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, according to the Gemara, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to, to Yoshua bin Nun, <coughs> that time has ended. You, Yoshua bin Nun, have to figure it out. How are you going to figure it out? You'll take your thumb and you'll go this way, and you'll go that way, and somehow the answer will come out. But that's the way it's going to be from now on, so that the inheritors of Yoshua bin Nun 
the Shoftim were recognized as competent and having somehow a relationship with God that ensured that the answers that they gave to the questions they were asked were reputable. Now this is all a story based on what we learned in Yitro. By the way, I always say this word, which I think is a Hasidic word that I never saw it printed anywhere. But it should be a Hasidic Like, you know, if I could find a Hasidic Rebbe, I would give it to him. You know that the parish of Matan Torah is called Yitro. Now generally parashiyot are called by the first significant word in the pasuk, like Breshit, Breshit Barelokim, Noach, Eilat Aldos, Noach, Lech Lecha, Lech Lecha, right? The first important word. Now in that first pasuk, it says Chotein Moshe, the name Moshe is also in that pasuk. And so if you would change the words around a little bit, you can even put Moshe at the beginning of the pasuk, pasuk Allah. And then the pasuk of Matan Torah would be called Moshe. Instead, it's called Yitro, which seems to be something of an insulting thing for Moshe Rabbeinu. Why should the first, the possible Baton Torah be called Yitro? I mean, it's not, uh, you know, not the way it should be. <coughs> the, answer, the answer is that Moshe Rabbeinu was responsible for Matan Torah. He gave the Torah to Bnei Yisrael. He received the Torah from God and he gave it to Bnei Yisrael. Matan Torah. But Yitro was responsible for the ongoing Kabbalat Torah. This, the, the, in order to receive the Torah, you had to have some certainty that you were doing the right thing. I mean, as long as Moshe Rabbeinu was around, he said, okay. Like we said, we have a, this phrase, Halacha Moshe Sinai. There are halachot that Moshe Rabbeinu taught us that are not in the psukim of the Torah, but we're certain that they are correct. Because they come from Moshe Rabbeinu. But when Moshe Rabbeinu comes to an end where he dies, where does that certainty come from? How are we going to be certain about, <coughs> about the Torah that we have? Oh, that we got from Yitro. Because Yitro forced us to come to grips with the question of other dayanim, other postkim. And to conclude that the other poskim were legitimate and correct and that God supported them. And that's how Am Yisrael, how, how, how the Jewish people continue to exist. If not for that, we would have died out. We died out like many movements. Many movements bereft of, of leadership, of what they think the leadership should be. They just die away. That people can't, you know, can't replace them. You can't replace and uh, in Hasidut, for example, this idea of leadership is a very important one. Because the Rebbe who died was an extraordinary personality, right? In, I mean, in stories that they tell about themselves. So that in order to replace him, you had to have another extraordinary personality, but it wasn't so obvious that the new Rebbe was so extraordinary. So that's the story in Yitra. Now, what's the story of Bamidbar? Here's Moshe Rabbeinu. He's talking to Bnei Yisrael. He wants to tell them this story. So let's read the Pesukim. The first Pesuk says, I am not able on my own to bear you, to put up with the weight. So here's Moshe Rabbeinu telling the story from his point of view. Right? Yitro came and he said, You can't do this, Moshe Rabbeinu. It's going to do you in. Moshe Rabbeinu says about himself, I couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't bear that. <coughs> so you see that according to Moshe Rabbeinu, there was absolute equality in the assessment of the situation between Yitro and Moshe Rabbeinu. They looked at the situation and said exactly the same thing. Hashem Elokechem Ibaedchem V'hinchem Hayom After all, there's a lot of you. A lot of questions. You're like Kofwer Shabbat Marov, right? The stars in the sky, right? Hashem Elokei Avotechem Yosef Alechem Kachem Elopamim. I hope that you will have thousandfold more than you are now. Right? So it's just don't Moshe Rabbeinu saying, if I can't handle it now, what's going to happen in another year, or another two years, when the numbers keep keep going up, uh, <coughs> up and up? So it's like Moshe Rabbeinu say, I don't want you to think that I want you to 
stop being fruitful, stop multiplying, stop being greater and greater. I mean, certainly not. That's not what I want. And then he says the pasuk, you know that there's a minhag. We have, a, it's not a, it's more than a minhag. It's a, established that before Tisha B'Av, we always read the parasha of Dvarim. Somehow they work it out. The workers out, work it out. But we always read the parasha of Dvarim. Now why do we read the parasha of Dvarim? Because of this pasuk, right? Eicha asalavadito hechem masrechem berichem. And if the balkore is a good balkore, he is able to do it. He will read that one pasuk in the, the tune of Eicha in order to emphasize for those people who are asleep that uh, that this is Tishabab, it's on its way. But further than that, we'll have to look at Rashi. But in any event, he said, Those are three words that describe what goes, goes on in Batei Din. If you've ever been in a Beit Din, you know that people scream at each other and yell at each other, throw things at each other. It's, very, it's kind of, to be very unpleasant. Then he said, Right? Chachamim is one kind of wisdom, or cleverness, and Nebonim is another kind. But you do it with Shiltechem, not clear what that is, but the idea is that to take the most impressive people and make them Shoftim, now you see that this story that Moshe Rabbeinu is telling is about himself. It has nothing to do with Yitro. You know, you do with Yitro. So now you could you could ask, what happened to Yitro? Moshe Rabbeinu, a nice guy. He's not a nice guy. How come he doesn't mention Yitro? But anybody, anybody who has ever read a uh, a book, <laughs> I mean, a literature like a novel. If you ever read a novel, you know that everybody tells their own story. That all the stories are real. They're not, uh, they're not lies. It's not like you say, you know, a lie is something else. A lie is when you say something that you wouldn't say. But you're in court, so you want to do somebody in, so that's called a lie. But, but the fact that there's my story, and there's Yitro's story, that's not a lie. That's as it is. It really is that way. So here's Moshe Rabbeinu, and he has certain difficulties with Am Yisrael, with judging them. There are a lot of them. They, they, they make difficulty, it's make trouble. It's very hard to, uh, <coughs> it's very hard to, uh, to deal with them, etc. Okay, let's look at the Rashi. Let's look at the Rashi. Rashi gives us a lot to think about. His Rashi. You know, Rashi, he knew about words, and he knew about phrases, and he knew about psukim. He knew about those things. So he says, if you look at the pasuk, Le'mor is a word that's usually word used with Moshe Rabbeinu quotes God. Or by Adaber Hashem of Moshe Le'mor, God spoke to Moshe, and this is what he said. But here, it says, Le'mor, why should Moshe Rabbeinu say about himself, Le'mor? Sort of uh, seems odd. So Rashi says, "Maulemo, Amar lahem Moshe, Lo me'atzmi ani omer lachem." And when Pia Kedush Baruch so Rashi emphasizes, as Moshe Rabbeinu is emphasizing, that he is now teaching Bnei or telling Bnei Yisrael something for which he was instructed by God, even though he's speaking as though he's speaking for himself. But he wants to make sure that we all know that it's divine intervention. And what was it? Lo So Rashi says, Rashi says, how could this be? I mean, what happened to Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu could do everything. Right, he did these miracles and those miracles and changed the course of Jewish history. What he can't judge today, Israel. How do you, how do you compare the, what Moshe Rabbeinu did to the judgment of today, Israel? This is what Moshe Rabbeinu said. God made you great in number and great in, in essence. You are greater than the Dayanim. 
He took away the punishment from you in it. He took the punishment from you, B'nai Yisrael, and gave it to the Dayanim. He explains this. As who can judge B'nai Yisrael? You mean the guy, Shlomo HaMelech, about whom it is said, that he's the wisest man of all. He says, Omer, mi yuchal lishpot. He's going to say that there's no one who can make be a judge. Of course he could be a judge. He could be the judge. Elakacha ma shlomo. Ein dayanei umazo ki dayanei shomer sha'ar ha'umot. The judges of this nation are different than the judges of other nations. Sheim dan v'horei u'makeh v'choneich because if, if a judge in another in another country, another nation messes up, kills the wrong guy, or makes the wrong guy pay, or gives this guy some punishment doesn't deserve, that's the halacha that if the judge, the, the Jewish judge, falsely obligates someone to pay, then nifashot aninidma. I am liable to be actually killed for that. So Rashi, Rashi has this difficulty. He can't understand what Moshe Rabbeinu found so difficult. After all, he was Moshe Rabbeinu. And after all, God was with him. So shouldn't that produce a powerful package where Moshe Rabbeinu would be able to judge and God would be behind him? <coughs> so Moshe, so Rashi, Rashi does not understand what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying. And therefore he falls back on the following idea, Rashi. Rashi falls back on the, on the following idea that to be a judge in Israel is especially difficult. And the more cases that you have, the more cases that you have to adjudicate, the more likely it is that you'll make a mistake. And when you make a mistake, your punishment is really going to be very severe. So, so Rashi retranslates it and he says, there's a lot of you, Moshe Rabbeinu, a lot of you Jews, a lot of you people, all of you have shyness. You're all coming to ask me questions. You're all coming to, for me to judge and disputes between Ploni and Almoni. What's the likelihood that I'll make a mistake? Tremendous. But if I make a mistake, then I'm liable for, for capital punishment, even if the mistake was about uh, a financial a financial settlement. So Rashi has to go pretty far out of his way to prove to us that Moshe Rabbeinu has a real ta'ana, that there's really something going on. And Rashi thinks that the simple position is that somebody who could do all these miraculous things that Moshe Rabbeinu did should certainly be able to judge uh, Am Yisrael. Okay, let's go to the next uh, so Rashi says it's like a Rashi kind of question he gets from the Medrash but the Rashi likes these kinds of questions they weren't yet uncountable it's like you can't count them there are only 600,000 600,000 is a number that you can you can count now in So, what was it about today? What what happened today that Moshe Rabbeinu noticed? In Chem Meshulim Kiyom, you Bnei Yisrael are like the day itself. Kayamim Kachama V'Chalavana V'Kakochavim. It's not in Chem in Chem Hayom Kikochbei Not that you are numbered like the stars in the heaven, but that you are, your existence 
is as uh, uh, powerful as that of the stars and the... There's also an idea that Rashi likes and appears in other places. Why does the Pesach repeat that God should bless B'nai Yisrael? El Amrulo, Moshe, Atanotein, Kitzvah, Lebirchoteinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, you are putting a limit on Abraham. God spoke to Abraham and said, Asherim yuchal ish limonot, that no one will be able to count us. Emola amalahem, so Moshe Rabbeinu said, Zo mishalihu. So this is like a kind of a strange. You see the pasuk again. Hashem elokev v'dechem Yosef v'dechem el pamim v'yevarechet chem kasher dibelachem. What do you mean v'yevarechet chem? What is this bracha? After all, God has already told Avram Avinu that they will be uh, like the like the grains of sand and the stars in the sky. So what do we need another bracha? So Rashi says this odd odd idea that Moshe Rabbeinu, he gave his bracha. And even though there's this ultimate bracha from God, that doesn't mean that there couldn't be a bracha from an individual. Even though it's the same, the same idea, or the both brachot are the same idea, nevertheless, the individual bracha does not contradict the divine bracha, even though the divine bracha is, is a kind of all-inclusive. All-inclusive. I, I didn't quite understand what, what Rashi was talking about. I mean, I, I didn't understand what Rashi was talking about. I thought maybe, maybe that, that's somehow the nature of bracha. The brachot are not, there was even an ultimate bracha doesn't perhaps contain all the shades of bracha, all the kind of different bracha aspects. And therefore, you could always give a bracha to someone who has received the bracha. I mean, even if you think the bracha that you got is a lot better than the bracha I could give, like in some way. Nevertheless, you know, you would be remiss if you didn't add your bracha onto that. That's what, that's what Rashi is saying, but I admit that I don't quite understand it. I don't quite understand what, the, what Rashi means. Now we come to the Tishabot Pasuk. Pasuk Yibet Eizcha Isalav Adita Rechem Asachem Berichem. So Rashi says, Im Oma Omar Lekabel Sachar Lo Ochal Zohi Shamati Lachem Loma Atzmi Ani Omelachem El Mepia Kodesh Bofa So as Rashi says this goes back to the Rashi at the beginning V'amar Lechem Ba'ita Elimor and it says V'amar Lechem Im Omer Lekabel Sachar even if I would say that I'll do it and get paid for it right it wasn't get most of it was not getting paid Lo uchal, I still couldn't do it. Zoe shamati lechem lo ma'atzmi ani umelechem ela mipi akodesh boch. Okay, this is it. Takes a little bit aside. Let's go on. Tochachem masachem v'rivchem. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu says to Bnei Yisrael. What is tochachem? Melamecha you Yisrael tarchanim. You see from here that Bnei Yisrael were annoying, annoyers. He would, one guy would see that his uh, protagonist would, would win. So he would say to the court, no, I have more witnesses, I have more proofs, right? We know that's the halakha. If you go to the court and you say, I have more information, more witnesses, more, then they have to listen to the case. They have to listen to the case again. So he says, "Yesh li edim lavi, yesh li raayot lavi, mosipa ni alechem dayanim." And I want you to add dayanim. So, in other, in other words, he doesn't have anything. <coughs> he doesn't really have uh, information or witnesses or, or, or an argument, but he can come and say that that he will do that, right? Mazachem, the next Rashi, melamecha yuapikorsi. That they were Jews already in the desert, who are called by that name Apikorosim. Because some people don't believe, don't believe in God, don't believe in the Torah, don't, don't believe in something or other crucial. So 
So if Moshe Rabbeinu left his house earlier in the morning, they said, was he going out early in the morning? Maybe there's something happening at home. He came out late. He came out late. So you see, people start talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. This is what Rashi explains, your great weight, the weight of B'nai Yisrael. There were people in B'nai Yisrael who would try to malign the good name of Moshe Rabbeinu. How do you do that? You say, you have to talk about something, you have to say something that's true. That's the only way that you can, like real Russian horror, is always based on something true. So what is it that, that the people said about Moshe Rabbeinu? They said, oh, he, he left his house early this morning, which was true. And then they said, why would he leave his house early this morning? Maybe he's like, you know, doing some, he's getting together with his friend and he's going to blow up the Aron Kodesh or something like that. Right, or if Moshe Rabbeinu came out late, they say, oh, he's late, what was he doing at home? Why did he stay late? Maybe he was planning the next uh, insurrection. Right, so, so that, that once you have enemies, once you have enemies, everything becomes very difficult. Rivchem, right? That they were screaming and yelling in the tents. Okay, okay, just one more pasuk. One more pasuk with Rashi, Yud Gimel, Yud Gimel. Havu lachem anashim chachamim nevonim v'yiduim l'shivtechem v'asimim v'rashichem. So all of these phrases, all these words have to be explained, and Rashi does it. Havu lachem, it's minu atzmechem v'davar. Make yourself ready. Make yourself ready, Moshe Rabbeinu said. Anashim, chit halel datchad nashim, this is an anti-feminist comment by Rashi <coughs> because according to Rashi it makes sense that a Dayan cannot be a woman cannot be a Dayan right, it makes sense in spite of the fact I know that Devorah was a judge in spite of that fact the Tosa says that a woman cannot be a judge anashim <laughs> Sadikim. And as you know that the word Anashim in Hebrew means either men or angels. Ish. The word Ish also means an angel. An angel is a person who could only, is a thing that can only do the right thing. So that parallels Sadikim. That's how Rashi gets from Anashim to Sadikim. Right? Then there are Chachamim. Chachamim, Ksufim, Nivonim. Nevonim, what are nevonim? Mevinim davar mitoch davar, zohi shesha'al ar-yoset, rabbi yoset, this is the medrash. Ma ben chachamim le nevonim? Chacham domeh b'shulchani ashira. Chacham is like a rich money changer. Right, a shulchani, he has a table. You put down the money, the coins that you have in one currency, and you try, and you want to buy coins in a different currency. That was the shulchani. The since they were different currencies, even along the Mediterranean in the time of the Moroyim, like the Philistines, the the Jews, the Ugaritans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, they all had they all had currency, and the currency was all made up of precious metal. That's how it worked. So if you had a silver dollar, remember the silver dollar. If you had a silver dollar, so you wanted to change it for a Ugaritic dollar. So really, they all had the same value. A dollar was a dollar. It didn't matter where it was made. I mean, I'm describing a certain situation. I know that it could be uh, that you could bring uh, proof that there were other situations. But I want this to describe this situation. You had a dollar. You had, a, 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 a say, a Jewish dollar. And you wanted to change it for a Ugaritic dollar or a Babylonian dollar. So you went to the Shulchanin. Now what did the Shulchanin do? He could take out a Babylonian dollar, give it to you, and take some small commission. But that was not the issue. The issue was that as the coin was used more and more, it, it was worn down. And there was the coin who had a bas relief picture on it. You know... You've seen these, you know, they discover something in some place. So there was a coin. And let's say on the coin they had a head of a, 
of an Indian. And because the coin was used for many, many years, that you rubbed it and rubbed it and rubbed it, and there was less silver in that coin than there was in a new Babylonian coin. So the Shulchani, the Shulchani had to decide how much your coin was worth. Because it started out with the real value. It's just like, like dollars once had real value. You don't remember that, do you? Remember the dollars used to have silver threads in them? Don't remember that either. Am I the only old person here? But there was a time. There was a time when paper dollars had a silver thread in them. And that silver thread was valued at a dollar. And then, as time went on, that changed from actually having money that had value to having money in Fort Knox, which sort of backed up the paper. The paper was nothing, but it was backed up by real dollars in Fort Knox. And then somebody figured out that we have this capacity for imagination. I, I give you a dollar, and you could imagine that it's a dollar. So Fort Knox went out of business. You know, they sold it off to Indians or something. who still thought that you needed a dollar. So the Shulchani Ashir, he said... In the 1930s, actually, they stopped basing the dollar on actual gold. In Fort Knox. Yeah, right. But before that, silver silver was used in the paper dollars. Right, that that was even before, even earlier. See, there's always somebody who knows something. <laughs> no, I just have tricky, to just I tricky. I just happened to look this up about three weeks ago. So. <laughs> okay. In anticipation of this shayun? Yeah, clearly, that, that was clearly that. I didn't know it then, but clearly that was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Ereven, now let's get back to the story. Ma'bein, he says, Zoe Shishoel Arius et Rabiosi. What's the difference between someone who's called a Chacham and someone who's called a Nabon? Chacham tomele shulchani ashir. A Chacham is like a rich banker. Shemeviim lo dinirim leot roe ukshein meviim lo yoshev vitohe. When you bring him work, do he works? And when you don't bring him any work, he just sits there and thinks about life, right? Navon So a Navon, somebody who's a Navon, he works when they bring him something to do. But when they don't bring him any money, he runs out into the into the community and tries to find try to find business. That's that's called a Navon. And uh, okay, that's uh I think we can stop here. I think we can stop here. So that we, what, what I've tried to, what I've tried to indicate, <coughs> what I've tried to indicate is that Moshe Rabbeinu tells the story in the beginning of Dvarim about the appointment of the Dayanim in order to emphasize the fact that he himself, Moshe Rabbeinu, had doubts. He didn't know whether you could do this, and that a Kaddish ensured that the result would be positive. Now this is something that he could not tell the people when it was Yidro. Because Yidro did not represent God's opinion. And even though Yidro was a smart person and knew a lot about religion, but he did not have the inside track to God's will. So Yidro just presented, Yidro just presented himself as having an opinion. And Moshe Rabbeinu agreed that Yitro was right, but it wasn't sufficient. It was necessary, but not sufficient. And therefore, Yitro <coughs> needed further elucidation. Moshe Rabbeinu had to explain to them why he agreed to do as Yitro directed. And that was because that was what God wanted, and that God assured that it would work out, that there would be some way of resolving the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was leaving the, was leaving the Dayanut. So Moshe Rabbeinu himself, he said, I had certain doubts, but when it really became impossible for me to go on, so then I, I worked it out, 
with God. Not with Yitron, but with God. And Rashi emphasizes twice that it was God who was the behind the scenes in creating this new uh, kind of reality. Now, I would like to I would I look at the Svatabet uh, on the other side. Sometimes I get a picture painted by Rembrandt that has to do with the Pasha of the Shavuot. But this time, you like. The Arch of Titus. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yes. No, it's from the Arch of Titus. You don't really see the arch. Yeah, it's good. I guess. That's something to do with the Beit HaMikdash, right? <laughs> I guess that's the idea. So I want to look at the Svatamet. The Svatamet knew the Chumash, and he knew the Rashi, and he knew the Ramban that we didn't learn. But uh, you can learn it, it's a good idea. So he says, Eisom Moshe Rabbeinu Alava Shalom Ra'autam Bishalvatam Amar Eicha Asalavadi Moshe Rabbeinu said, how can I do this on my own? Yeshaya Amar, the Navi, he's quoting the Medrash, the Medrash Rabbah. Yeshaya, the Navi said, Eicha italizon. I uses the word Eicha, the same word that Moshe Rabbeinu uses. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Eicha salavadi, how can I bear this burden? And Yeshaya said, Eicha italizon. How could is it possible that she has become like a prostitute, B'nai Yisrael? And Yirmiya said, Echa Yeshva Badad. It's of course in, in Megillat Echa. Megillat Echa was written by Yirmiyawa Navi. I've already explained this elsewhere. Kikola Mikhsholot Shayu Akhartach. And so, the Svatamet says, look, we've done the worst things that you could imagine. And we've been punished for the worst things that we have done. But how is it possible that we continue to act in the same way? Why don't we learn? Right? And he says... It's all because we lost touch with the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now he's going to explain what he means by that. He says, The Pasuk says, I have grown sons and exalted them. Also Yoda Shor Konehu, the Shor, the ox, knows where it gets fed, the Chamor and the Chamor knows the trough of its owners. Yisrael lo Yada. So this is like a strange Pasuk. It's true that the animals know where their food is. And it's also true that Yisrael lo Yada, but what's the connection? Anybody can, even Israel will go to find food. You know, if there's food, if you open up a, a, a cafeteria and don't charge it, they'll all come in to eat. What, what does this possibly, possibly mean? The meaning of this pasuk, he, that in fact we are different than the animals we are made right God elevated us from all the rest of nature to be drawn after the leadership the highest form of leadership even higher than understanding and this would have been a great achievement 
to be schlepped along in this way into greatness. But the Pasuk says, It's the animal that knows where it should be. He says that Koma, the Avid all the things that Akadish Bahu did was all to teach, to learn from the Khofmata, from that wisdom, that we should look into the world. And what do we see in the world? That even the animals, animals know where they belong. They know where they should go. This uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, cows where they milk the cows, the milking something or other. What? A reference. Yeah, but in English, that's a name. Cow shed. No, no. Cow shed is a shed in which there are cows, but there's a special place where they milk the cows. Machriva. Right. Okay, I give up. What? I think it's just called dairy. Uh, okay, it's not the word I'm looking for, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So that that we should be looking at the animals, and what will we see if we look at the animals? That they know where they belong, because they want to get fed, because they want to eat. So they go to where their baalim, where their owners have determined that the food should go. That's something that they know. Right? And that we should be able to imitate that. In this way, we would be able to be schlepped along, following leaders, great leaders, just as the animals follow their noses to get to where they, they belong. And it's true that the first generation was such a generation. That at the beginning, Am Yisrael was Nimshach was schlepped along to follow Moshe Rabbeinu that's normal that just like animals we were following you Moshe Rabbeinu because we recognized your leadership your greatness your spiritual uh, uh, value he says he says uh, one second that's what B'nai Yisrael was that's a sign of their greatness that they were able to follow God they were able to follow where they because they knew what do you mean follow you know that you can't be that way but you could follow that way you could go close to that way you could be there so to speak Yisrael lo yada Yisrael lo yada about the past that's why the passage says, it reads the past and the future, that B'nai Yisrael could feel at the same time the past and the future. That just by going with God, by following God, like the animals follow the leaders, we could be close to the past and the future. And then he says, And we always read this parasha of Devarim. Benam and Sarim is between Yudzai and Shivasu Batamas and Tish Abba'av. Lizkor, Lishtokei, Kachar, Ma'asav, Oteinu, Arishonim. 
שנמשכו אחר קודש ברוך הוא, כמו שכתוב, אלך ואשובה אל אישי הראשון, I will go back to my first husband, who אישק לעבוד הגדול, the great enthusiasm שהיה לנו בראשונה, להיות נמשך אחריו ולשכוח כל עולם הזה. So the Sinat Yisrael says two things. It says stage one, we kind of follow God. Even though that statement doesn't mean anything. We're here, God is there, and we don't really have a connection. But we can, it's a natural thing to find somebody to follow. To find something to follow. But that was replaced by Moshe Rabbeinu. Where we could actually see it. We could actually touch him. We could know what was going on. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. So that according to the, to the Svata Met, there's another story in the parasha of Dvarim. And that other, that other story in the parasha of Dvarim is this, that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to appoint judges. And B'nai Yisrael said to him, no, we just learned this Svata Met. And the Svata Met says, we need u- unique leadership. We need leadership that we can trust. We don't need divided leadership. We don't need a Rosh Ben Shalah and a Rosh uh, of the Ramat Kal and another guy in, 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 in this kind of agency and that kind of agency. We need one guy. We need one guy is Moshe Rabbeinu. And so when Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm going to appoint judges, they all realized that they were going to lose. They could lose Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, no, no. You'll be led by Chachamim and Devonim. And Chachamim and Devonim are people who, the higher up you get in the, on the rungs of leadership, the more they are in accord with each other because they're trying to tell you what the Torah wants of you so that it would in fact be okay. So that's what the Nisilat, that's what the Shachamet is, is saying. That the normal thing for B'nai Yisrael would be to follow God. Following God proved to be more too difficult for them, so they could follow Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to end his reign as the chief justice of the Jewish people and appoint many other judges. So the people said, so who are we going to follow? So Moshe Rabbeinu said, Chachamim, Unibonim, they're the ones who will know, who will not be uh, fighting small-mindedly with each other. <coughs> they are the ones who will lead you again, just as the behemah is led, so too will you be led. Have a good